Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown. Today, I'm joined by University of Idaho College of Law professor Shakira Sanders to discuss the state's recent decision to challenge President Biden's executive order on vaccines. Thanks for joining me, Professor Sanders. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. The state of Idaho has joined uh, multiple other states in the lawsuit. The lawsuit's led by Georgia, Uh, which challenges an executive order that would require employees of federal contractors to be fully vaccinated by December 8th, with few exceptions. Uh, The State Board of Education is also party to the lawsuit on behalf of Idaho universities. The universities have up to about $89 million in existing federal contracts. I believe from our prior discussions, and I think the board uh, as a whole needs to understand this, that The uh, guidance for application of the Biden executive order essentially spreads to the whole institution, everybody who touches these federal grants from the janitor to the HR person, not just the people doing the specific work. Is that correct? Yes, thank you. It does not apply to students unless they're student employees. But otherwise, that's correct. It's pretty expansive. Professor Sanders, I wanted to start out by asking you, where does this authority from the President of the United States come from? So with regards to the U.S. Constitution, the powers of the President are laid out in Article 2. The first section of that article lays out the qualifications. The second section uh, lays out the powers of the President. Um, And there are quite a few uh, dealing with uh, commander in chief of our army, pardons, appointing ambassadors, judges, uh, but there's this broad right uh, to take care that the laws of the country are faithfully executed. Um, And that's been broadly interpreted uh, to include like things like public health, public safety. And of course, we have all types of federal laws surrounding public health and public safety that the president surely in his role uh, as the chief executive has the power uh, to make sure the laws are enforced. Um, So uh, how the US Supreme Court uh, looks at this uh, uh, is an analysis uh, that takes into account the idea that the president has both constitutional powers in Article 2, Section 2, but also those statutory powers laid out in our federal statutes. As part of those constitutional powers, we have what's expressly imp- uh, expressed in Article 2, Section 2, but we also have implied powers. And this analysis gets pretty tricky. Uh, there's an old case Youngstown Sheet and Two Company. It surrounds an executive order that was issued by President Truman uh, to prevent striking during the war. The court said, hey, Truman, that executive order goes too far. Uh, Truman tried to say, you know, national security, safety for the country. The court says, hey, your use of that executive order goes too far. Um, So here, that's part of what the court will look at. There's nothing expressly in the Constitution that says you can issue an executive order for a pandemic, but many would see the president's ability to ensure health and safety as far as federal contracting and its dollars uh, that that surely falls under. But there are a lot of different issues uh, that we have to get to, uh, including things about 
uh, individual rights, religious exemptions, and what power applies to the states. But broadly, there is this power to issue executive orders for public safety. Professor Sanders, how does a lawsuit like this balance individual rights versus the interest of the public health? How does the court balance that? Well, that would be one of the core issues for the court with regards to that balance. It is a balance of government power and individual liberty. Now, on the government power end, uh, the court uh, gives the government certain powers in certain areas, right? Uh, and I should say the Constitution gives the government certain powers. And part of the issue here is states have power to regulate for health and safety as well, right? And that's part of the, the conflict. Uh, the, the federal government with regards to individuals and with regards to the states. And so with regards to individuals, uh, there is this broad right uh, to refuse medical treatment. Um, and part of what uh, will be the difficulty is that it's, there's only a small class of individuals who are subjected to this vaccination order. I do not work for the federal government. Well, I work, don't work for the federal government, but I do work for one of its contractors uh, uh, and the university is considered a contractor, right? So I'm subject to it. Uh, but if I were a small business owner or just someone who worked from home at, uh, uh, for, for a private company, not a federal contractor, I have nothing to worry about. So for the vast majority of us, this does not implicate individual rights. The question is, is for the group that it implicates, uh, is there some type of right to your federal employment? Probably not, right? Uh, is there some type of fundamental right uh, to work in general? The answer is actually no. The Supreme Court said the right to work is liberty interest, but not a fundamental one. Um, and so there, that means the individual right is somewhat weakened. But that's if you're talking about the right to work. Uh, if the claim is the right to be free from medical uh, treatment, some of the question there may be, well, you could quit this job and not have to be subject to this mandate. Um, and so how does that balance work here in that situation could be a little bit different than the right to work. With religious exemptions, I think those are going to be the most complicated questions for the court uh, because religious belief religious practice is a fundamental right. It means the government has a heavy burden to overcome when it regulates in a way that affects religion. What uh, makes this complex right now is that we have a case pending before the Supreme Court on exactly what is the standard when you have a law that doesn't target religion, like a vaccine mandate, versus a law that does. Clearly, that if you target religion, very high standard of review. Currently, if you're not trying to target religion, you just have a general law that affects practice, the court has given that a lower standard of review. The case pending right now could raise that standard. And in fact, that was the original approach. It used to be a higher standard. It got lowered in a, an opinion written by Scalia. Now the issue is, should the standard be heightened back? So there, there could be some, some trickiness for the president and the states because the law could be changed. Um, so just a lot of different issues when it comes to individual rights. Um, with regards to this conflict between states and the federal government, another uh, tough situation uh, to determine 
what's the proper line for when you intrude on states' rights under the 10th Amendment versus areas the federal government can control. Here, I think it's going to make a big difference that this is not a mandate to govern all Americans, only those who are in, in jobs uh, where you're working for a federal contractor or someone who gets a lot of federal dollars. Usually the court has said that the federal government has the ability to control the priorities with regards to its funding. Um, now, will it cross too much of a line uh, uh, to revoke all funding? I would have to double check to see exactly what the consequences are under this executive order. I doubt uh, that the president could just say, if every employee right, does not uh, vaccine, especially at a college or university, we're gonna take all your funding and essentially shut you down. I think that would be going too far, right? But to the extent that the federal government says, hey, you've got some exemptions here to work with, then we could see a, a balance the court could live with. So uh, I'm sorry, this is so complicated and it's not clear cut, but this is pretty unprecedented. And since the last time we had a pandemic in 1918, we've got a hundred more years of constitutional jurisprudence that on the subject of individual rights and liberty has exploded, right? These individual rights didn't exist during uh, 1918 pandemic, which makes this completely different with regards to how uh, the constitution would be interpreted. I wanna ask you specifically about uh, religious rights. They are, uh, unique and that they're different obviously um, from uh, workmen, employee or employer rights. For example, on Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court denied a request to block Maine's mandate on vaccines for healthcare workers. That group of folks um, of unvaccinated workers essentially argued that the mandate violated their religious liberty rights. Um, that order, however, came from the state of Maine rather than the federal government. What makes religious rights and those individuals who, based on their religious beliefs, do not want the vaccine, what makes that unique? Well, one, uh, the right to religious belief and practice are specifically mentioned in the First Amendment of the Constitution. Um, and so that makes it pretty, pretty important. Not so much that it's the First Amendment, but it's specifically mentioned in any amendment. Um, and I think the court's jurisprudence. Like I said, the court has always closely examined laws that targeted religion. But with regards to practice, there's always been a bit of a difficulty because of course, if there were an unlimited right to religious practice, that could implicate other laws, laws around discrimination, laws around uh, uh, criminal behavior. Um, and so the court has tried to strike a balance where if you have a law that applies generally like a criminal law, uh, the fact that it would implicate your ability to engage religious practice is not outcome determinative, right? Uh, especially if it's an area where it's always been criminalized or prohibited. And so here we see will be an attempt by individuals to claim that there should be some type of religious exemption to this vaccine mandate. Now that's where I need to look at uh, the executive order itself, but any federal regulations that are released about implementing this executive order, it could be that religious exemptions are built in. Um, and, uh, and, and it doesn't mean that you get the type of exemption you want. 
Um, but to make clear, uh, just because you want an exemption does not mean that you always get one. And that's where the court's uh, level of scrutiny or analysis comes in. It's changed over time. It used to be that you got the really tough scrutiny, even if you had a general law. That change with Employment Division versus Smith, which was an opinion written by the late Justice Scalia, uh, the majority of the court agreed there that we should give it the lower level of scrutiny if it's a general law, uh, because states have always had the power to make criminal laws, right? Um, and so uh, we have a case pending now before the US Supreme Court uh, where challengers are saying the burden should be heightened again on the government. So it will be a little unclear, especially if that case comes out first and the court refers to it here on an issue of religious exemption. And it very well would, because of course that case has been argued, this is just an emergent uh, lawsuit and on its first, uh, uh, but I would suspect that the lower courts are gonna be looking to see what the Supreme Court says about religious exemptions. We had a number of cases over the summer, uh, like we just had with Maine, where there's a petition. One judge looks at it and says, yes, we're gonna do something. No, we're not gonna do something. We've seen that. This uh, situation in Maine seems to be the first time the court has sided with the states. Um, and that very well could be because of what we saw in the summer, uh, especially the late summer and early fall with regards to spiking COVID numbers. Um, and so it could be that the court is just way more trusting um, of the states now, even when it comes to religious exemptions. Um, and all, you also need to look and see what's prohibited with regards to religion. If there is some way, you know, it may be one thing to put a ban on going to church versus saying you got to wear a mask when you go to church. Uh, the court could look at those issues very differently. So it's quite complicated. Uh, but what people should understand is that with regards to religious practice, the court has said it's not an absolute right. States have the power to regulate. You said something interesting that I want to follow up on. For example, the other day I was watching an Idaho Supreme Court hearing and they were dealing with something regarding administrative rules. Nothing too riveting that people are going to jump up and down about. But um, you mentioned the COVID spike. When the court looks at setting a policy, an executive order, uh, how much are they allowed to factor in current circumstances? I mean, do they look at, um, for example, is our infection rate at 25% or is our infection rate at 2%? How much can they be swayed by the current circumstances? I think if you look at constitutional law cases, there's always some type of context that indicates an emergency of some type, uh, right? Uh, Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company, you've got a steel strike in the middle of a war. Um, where you're trying to build a lot of um, uh, weapons. Uh, here, right, emergency situation. The intensity of the emergency certainly makes a huge difference. Uh, so it could very well be, uh, not so much that the court decides the case differently, but the weight it gives to the particular arguments um, with regards to the need for something like a vaccine mandate. This lawsuit, I was reading through it, I had a copy of it. The lawsuit also claims the executive order from President Biden is a violation of the 10th Amendment, which uh, reserves power to the states. 
how does this push and pull between the federal government and the state government, how does that usually play out in court? Well, there hasn't really been a way it usually plays out, primarily uh, because of this context. And I should say in this context, there hasn't been a lot of different ways in, we've seen in terms of court cases, primarily because we're usually if the states are claiming the 10th Amendment, you're dealing with the federal statute, right? And so the fight is about congressional power versus state power under the 10th Amendment. Here, we've got to fight over executive power versus state power over the 10th Amendment. Now, we've seen this in different contexts, however. Uh, I think about uh, uh, the case dealing with uh, Obama and his immigration mandate, uh, where uh, states brought arguments about it impacting the 10th Amendment, their ability to regulate uh, by uh, forcing them to take refugees, things like that. Um, and, and again, a lot of the other contexts like uh, the Affordable Care Act are really about what Congress passed versus what the president has done under an executive order. Nevertheless, uh, the same federalism issues uh, that exist when you have federal uh, laws uh, and the 10th Amendment exist when you have an executive order versus the 10th Amendment. Now, the 10th Amendment and it's a lot of early constitutional jurisprudence really was a bar uh, for the federal government and its ability to regulate, especially pre-Civil War. As you can imagine, we had a very different sense of states' rights, including the right of states to like enslave other people. Since that time, um, and with the turn of the 20th century into this modern constitutional era with more respects given to individual rights, uh, the 10th Amendment has sort of taken a back seat, right? Uh, because the court has said, well, the 10th Amendment, even though the states have all this reserved right, it doesn't include the right to violate individual rights. Um, so, so this is a little bit of a unique situation. Again, outside of immigration context, we haven't seen a lot of people fighting with the executive over executive orders and using the 10th Amendment. I think given the international nature of um, COVID, uh, the fact that this is a national pandemic, not a pandemic that affects one state or, or isolated regions of the country. And again, we're talking about an executive order that uh, 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 regulates federal contractors, not every American in the country. Uh, it very well could be that the court is not as persuaded by the 10th Amendment arguments. Again, uh, the funding of education in this country uh, is nationalized, right? Um, and clearly states should not uh, have the power to say, hey, we'll take your federal dollars, but we don't want to follow, follow your federal rules. So a lot of it will come down to how the court sees the pandemic, if uh, how any court will see the pandemic. Will it make a difference if you're uh, in a, a high infection rate state versus a no, low one? Who knows? Because the numbers haven't been stable anywhere. But I should say that fact that it's so unpredictable at the national level, I think weakens the state's rights 10th Amendment argument. This is not an issue that individually affects states. This is an issue that has affected us globally. Um, and uh, the federal government has complete control over international, uh, in the international era, right? States have no control over international law. Um, and so, 
the same thing is true when things affect the country at the national level. Uh, it becomes less of a 10th Amendment issue and more of a federal issue. Um, and so the federalism balance weigh, may weigh more in the federal government's favor. Well, that's an interesting argument. And, and I'll say the court may just see a need for consistency with regards to how uh, 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 federal dollars, where federal dollars are going and who's following what rules when you're getting these federal dollars. So that's the other uh, part here is that there just very well could be this need for the federal government to have a consistent policy when addressing this national issue. I wanna talk uh, for just a minute about federal overreach. That's a term that's used a lot. In a press release on Friday, Governor Little said President Biden's federal contractor vaccine mandate not only harms Idaho workers and businesses that partner with the federal government, but it forces states to implement Biden mandates that are without legal precedent. Um, he called it a coercive federal overreach and it must be stopped. Federal overreach is a term that is used a lot, no matter who is occupying the White House. Uh, I've heard it through various presidencies. At what point can the court determine if something is indeed federal overreach? Well, that's the whole point of the court, to determine whether something is federal overreach under a statute or the Constitution. And you're right, the concern about federal overreach, again, is why we have a Bill of Rights, right? Uh, when the, the states got those first seven articles, they were like, this looks great, uh, but it's not an A+. Where are the rights? Um, and so uh, we're concerned that the federal government will be too powerful. We want a set of rights before we agree to form this constitution. Uh, so that's been an issue since our founding. A lot of that comes from our fear of uh, the king and his power and his ability to regulate us. So here, what we see, again, I think the court will take note of is just the national and international economic effects of COVID-19. Uh, no state can say that this pandemic is unique to them and their state. Um, and to the extent that the federal government has had to pay a lot of money to help people in various different states, it may be very difficult for states to assert that they are the ones who have the right to say whether there should be vaccines or not vaccines, again, when it comes to federal contractors. Um, and those who receive large funds of federal dollars. In the education space, uh, it is uh, maybe a little odd for states to say, we'll follow all your federal education rules, right? We'll make sure there's no discrimination. We'll make sure that you, we follow the rules around athletics, all this stuff. But when it comes to a vaccine, you right, stay, stay off of it even though we saw pretty catastrophic effects for colleges and universities last year when students in mass could not come to college or when students in mass were threatening to go home for college and schools were losing out on the housing dollars. So it's, you know, the federal government's involvement in education is so great that I think at least there, it's very difficult. Uh, it'll be very difficult uh, for states to, to say that this is solely a Tenth Amendment issue. When it comes to federal contractors, it's very hard to understand how states will have any regulatory control uh, over those individuals, right? Uh, they are federal 
contractor. So I'm sure there are federal contracts that dictate a lot of that relationship. And I'm pretty sure those contracts say, if there are new executive orders, you have to follow them, right? Um, and so those will probably be looked at under contract principles to see if they're too coercive. I doubt if there's anything suspicious in there, given the commonality of federal contracting, given that federal contractors usually know that new regulations can come out all the time. There are a lot of heavily regulated areas where the court has already said, right, uh, the government's word goes, follow the rules as long as they're reasonable. Given the length of the pandemic, given its economic devastation um, at the national and international area, it is just very difficult, again, to see how states have, could use the 10th Amendment to argue that they should be the ones to regulate federal contractors to the extent that they quibble about their universities you're already under the federal regulatory regime there. Uh, so it, it, a lot of which does have health and safety mandates. Um, and so it just could be that the court finds that states have already ceded a lot of their right. And by accepting these federal dollars, they've ceded to federal control. I suppose time would tell whether they actually are in jeopardy of losing those federal funding. And I know uh, the universities have several grants. It's $89 million that could theoretically be in jeopardy. So we'll see where it goes and what the court decides. But until then, I sincerely appreciate your time. Professor Shakira Sanders, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is uh, really fun to sort of think through these issues. Very complicated. For updates throughout the week, follow Idaho Reports on Facebook and Twitter. The 50th season of Idaho Reports premiered on Friday. You can watch the show Fridays at 8 p.m. on Idaho PTV or catch it online after the show at idahoptv.org. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.